Okay, there is a very famous psychologist, author, uh, speaker, radio personality, and social activist. You know him. He was traveling through Southern California one day, and he passed a convent, which is uh, a Christian community of nuns. Y'all know that, right? Uh, that's when he saw the sign at the entrance. It said this, absolutely no trespassing. Violators will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Signed, Sisters of Mercy. <laughs> now, for some of you, this is your experience at church. For some of you, that's your experience with God. And Elijah, Elijah is going to change your experience. Today we get to meet Elijah. Today is our first confrontation with Elijah. And he will change your experience. After, uh, there was a few years ago, the psychology department at the Duke University carried out an interesting experiment. They wanted to see, quote, how long can rats swim? First of all, I'd like to know, who comes up with these things? And it would be a psychology department that would come up with something like that, right? Well, in one container, they placed a rat with no possibility of escape. He swam for a few moments and intentionally ducked his head to drown. Another rat, they put in another container, but they placed this rat with the possibility, the hope of escape. This rat swam for hours. Hours before finally giving up. Now, it's just the opposite, right? It's what we think, right? We think as long as there's life, there's hope. Well, this experiment demonstrates and shows as long as there's hope, there's life. You'll keep swimming and swimming and swimming. Some of you are treading water this morning and you're desperate for hope. And Elijah is here for you. There's a weird passage in 2 Kings. It happens one generation after the time period we're looking at, so I still feel like we can use it. We're going to look at 2 Kings for a little bit. There's some really strange things that we're... <laughs> We are in the world of magic, y'all. We are in the world of wizardry. We are in the world of Gandalf. We are in the world of Dumbledore. We are in the world, okay? So get used to it. This is close encounters. This is wild kind of stuff. This is otherworldly kind of stuff that happens and flashes on these pages in 1 Kings, 2 Kings. It's, it's extraordinary what happens. Well, at this particular case, it's a weird passage. Some Israelites are burying a man. And while they're burying the man, they look up and they see some very violent men approaching them, riding on camels. They're marauding Moabites. And in a panic, they quickly just dump the body into the nearest grave that they could find. That grave happened, however, to be a famous grave of a legendary prophet. The second greatest behind Elijah. And when that corpse hit that prophet's bones, the corpse came alive and stood before these gentlemen. Crazy land, right? Here's the point. You and I are about to touch the bones for probably about eight weeks, nine weeks 
of the greatest prophet that ever lived. Anything can happen. Anything can happen over these next couple of weeks. We are going to touch in God's word the greatest prophet who spoke the word of God who ever lived. <laughs> you should come with expectations that anything can happen. You should come with the expectation that if you are looking for a breakthrough with God, if you are looking for a breakthrough, oh God, give it. Grant it. Grant it these next couple of weeks. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. First Kings sixteen through seventeen seven. In the thirty-eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty-two years. And Ahab, son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up as its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Kerith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens uh, to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kerith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. 
So Lord, we ask that you would shine on the page. We thank you for the wonder of your word. Holy Spirit, would you uh, open eyes and make clear the realities here, bring them home to our hearts as only you can do. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so three years ago, 2015, Texas and Oklahoma experienced the highest levels of rain that they've had uh, in a long, long time. Um, but my dad, my brother, and I were still going to go fly fishing in Oklahoma in Broken Bow. Now, the drive there should have stopped us. Uh, the bridge over the Red River, 259 bridge, was submerged underwater. So we couldn't cross into Oklahoma that way. We had to go into Arkansas, and it took another an hour and a half to get us to Broken Bow, Oklahoma to get on a fly fishing stream that we wanted to fly fish. We got in on Sunday evening, but we're there first thing on the morning, Monday morning, there we were. Uh, and this is what we saw. We saw two football fields of rocks and boulders stacked at least 10 feet high where the stream was supposed to be. Now this is rain. This is not a, uh, an earthquake that generated a tsunami that devastated coastal regions from Japan and Thailand and all over the world. This is rain. And rain had moved boulders and rocks about from a dam that was a mile away and took those boulders and rocks and came crushing down this valley and came and deposited themselves for 200 yards in this unbelievable, I guess, I didn't know it at the time, pristine trout stream. It was my first time to see. It reconfigured the whole valley and the whole stream. It deeply changed the whole area. It was unrecognizable. There were some folks that had got there. My dad, who had fished there before, he just stood there in like gaping awe. He could not believe what he saw. There was another fellow Texan that said when he first got there that morning, he wanted to cry because it was nothing like it was. It was completely like being on the moon. Changed everything. Water. Water has the power to deeply change things reconfigure things, transform things. Water is 70% of the Earth's surface. Water fills oceans and rivers, streams and lakes. There is water on top of the ground. There is water in the ground. There is water under the ground. There is water above the ground. Right now, we're all breathing water. It's in the air, Ty. It's in the air. Just check it. In 2015, te Texas in the span of three weeks, had 35 trillion gallons of rainfall, enough to cover the whole state of Texas with eight inches of water. In Waco itself, that period in May was the longest consecutive, 25 consecutive days of rain in May that broke the 1922 record of 20 consecutive days. Water is in every living organism. Water is in everything that lives. An elephant and an ear of corn are 70% water. I will never look at an elephant the same again. You, human being, you human person, are 75% water. Water gives life. Without water, there is no life. So water has the power to deeply change things. Water is life. So what Elijah says to Ahab and says to Elijah is so deeply disturbing. He says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Did you catch the dew part? The rain part's easy to catch. The dew part, there will not be. In other words, I am shutting off. I am turning off 
all water in Israel. Every faucet, every fountain, every spigot, every drop of dew. I'm turning off. No more water. Why is God doing this? I mean, why would he do this? Well, we get a hint of the answer in 16. That's why we had to lead a little bit about Ahab. Ahab will have, I think, four chapters just to himself later, and we're going to look at him because he's an interesting fellow. He is the Saruman. He is the, he's the opposite, the polar opposite of Elijah. He is the nemesis of Elijah. They face each other throughout their lives. Well, in 1 Kings 16.30, it says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than any that were before him. Now, it's interesting that when Omri is... His dad is mentioned earlier in 16. It says, now Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than any other king before him. So the, the son just replaced the father as the top title in evil. That's saying something, right? Well, here's even more interesting. The Assyrians were famous all over the ancient world for their evil. ISIS uses their methods, borrowed their methods, stole their methods of evil. Terrorist organizations imitate Assyria and duplicate Assyria's methods. If there was a most evil nation title in the history of the world, Assyria would be number two, only slightly behind Nazi Germany. The Syrians were so impressed by Omri, this is Ahab's dad, they were so impressed by his evil that they didn't call Israel Israel when they referred to Israel in their history books. You know what they referred to Israel as? The house of Omri. They were in so in awe of his evil. So for Ahab to take Omri, his dad's title away, that's saying something. This is a big deal. But the question is why? Like, What did Ahab do that was so evil? What was the root of the heart of all his evil? I mean, did he set up concentration camps in Israel? Did he murder 6 million people or 12 million people if it's Stalin, what did Ahab do that, was, that gave him the evil title in all of Israel? Well, here's the answer. It's in verse 31, and it goes like this. He took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ithbael, the king of the Sidonians. Okay, so I guess the first application is this. Guys, don't ever date someone or marry someone named Jezebel. It's just out. And then he went and served Baal and worshipped him. He went and erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. I mean, it's, just, it's awkward Hebrew. It's awkward English. It's Baal, 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 Baal. Baal's everywhere. Baal was the god of rain. Baal had the power to deeply change things to make you flourish, to give you the good, to give you the happiness you crave for, to give you the hope that will keep you treading water. Baal was the God of life, universal, personal. I mean, if you wanted to be psychologically healthy, you went to Baal. If you wanted to have relational flourishing in your marriage, in your families, in your tribe, in your community, you went to Baal. If you wanted social flourishing, in other words, you wanted wealth and you wanted prestige and you wanted 
honor and you didn't want shame and you wanted to avoid not being enough of the nobody, you went to Baal. If you wanted national power and security and secure borders and, and a defense and protection, you went to Baal. Baal is the God of life. Baal has the power to meet all your deepest needs. And Baal just replaced God as the God of Israel. This is the first time in Israel's history that God is not their God. It's state-sponsored, king-sponsored Baal worship for the first time. Sure, they had their idols in their high places, but it was always recognized that God was the God of Israel. This is the first time in Israel that he wasn't. According to the Bible, when we look to something or someone to give us what only God can give us, when we look to something or someone to send us the rain, we create a bale that passes into our soul and it brings boatloads of evil with it. Let's just take one. I mean, this is a this one gets us all. Let's say, let's say you look to your performance to send the rain in your life. You know what ends up happening? You end up performing, not living. You perform at your work, you don't do your work. You perform in your relationships, you're not, you're not in the relationship, you're not there, you're performing. We perform for God, we perform for others, we perform for ourselves, we perform for laws, we perform for the law of success and failure. We're constantly juggling that law of success or failure. Was I successful or was I a failure? We perform the law of thinness. Am I thin enough? Am I, oh, I don't know, how much am I weighing? We perform, we perform, and when we perform, we're constantly self-conscious, constantly thinking about what we're doing and how we're doing it. I mean, there are whole departments, there are people that are paid millions of dollars to help athletes get out of their head, to help athletes to stop thinking about, what am I doing and how am I doing it? Am I swinging right? Well, am I hitching my left? Just swing. I've mentioned this before. Watch. It happens every Olympics. Every, every summer Olympics when the, when the ladies do their gymnastics, one of those poor girls will crack under the pressure to perform. Those of you that perform as a part of your vocation know what I'm talking about, but every single one of us here know that if you look for your performance to send the rain. You're incredibly self-conscious. You think about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Your thoughts go in that direction. You start thinking about yourself. You start thinking about how you think you're doing. You start thinking about what other people think how you're doing. You start thinking about the law of success and failure. How does it think I'm doing? The law of being somebody or nobody. What does that law say about how I'm doing? And then you're stuck in this self-vigilance self, self 
a constant self-anxiety, and you fluctuate between self-praise and self-loathing, back and forth. When we look to our performance to send the rain, we're always performing. You're never not performing in a conversation, in an athletic event, in your art, in your music, at school, before your parents. It's constant. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody's themselves. When you look to your performance to send the rain, there is neither dew nor rain in your life. Let's pick another one. Let's say physical beauty. Let's say we look to physical beauty um, to send the rain. So what this does, women then have distorted views of themselves, which leads to deep insecurity and to a whole host of disorders. And then men have distorted views of women, which leads to a perpetual quest and a perpetual hunt to try to find the perfect woman to marry or date. And then it leads to, and some of you are saying, I found her. <laughs> if you're a husband, you better be saying that. You found her. And then it leads to pornography, and it leads to sexual sin. And then how about, let's just talk about aging people. When aging people look to physical beauty to send the rain, oh, my word, we're all breaking down. I got news for you folks. And those of you in college, okay, great. You've got a window between 16 and 24. That's all you got to be considered the youth culture. So you're in your heyday if you're there. If you're outside of that, I'm sorry. There's no hope for you. <laughs> you better start wearing one pieces. And dudes, you better start wearing like big shirts. We dehumanize the elderly when we look to physical beauty to send the rain. When we look, and we could say this about anything, right? We could say this about if you look to money to send the rain, there's neither dew nor rain. If you look to human approval to send the rain, there's neither dew nor rain. If you look to, I don't know, self-interest, let's say you want to take care of your needs before you take care of somebody else's, there's neither dew nor rain. If you look to your comfort and ease to send the rain, there's neither dew nor rain. No matter what we look to, if we look to something or someone other than God to give what other than God can give, it's a bail. And the Bible says it passes into your soul and it brings boatloads of evil in your life. There's neither dew nor rain. Okay, so what does this passage want? What's this passage after? Let's get going. What, what's it supposed to do? What's it supposed to do to you? Here it is. It's very abrupt. It's as abrupt as Elijah showing up in verse 1. This is the first time Elijah shows up. The literal translation is, and he said. That's it. And said Elijah, that's what it really said. And said Elijah. And this is your introduction to him. There's nothing like, okay, what's his background? You know, is he, is he like Jeremiah? He's kind of a, you know, a real melancholy kind of spirit. No, he shows up. You don't know his family background. You don't know what his qualification. You don't know what seminary he went to. You don't know anything about this prophet. He just shows up. You don't know if he's liberal, conservative. You don't know anything about him. And he just shows up. What this passage is doing is very abrupt. It's very, like, we just experienced a little of the abruptness, but it's also very simple. It's exactly what he says. You know what he's saying? Here's what he's saying to Ahab. Here's what he's saying to Israel. Here's what he says to everyone that hears this passage. Change your heart. Change your heart. 
Some of you are thinking, oh, Jeff, I have tried. In fact, I'm on my hundredth, hundredth attempt to change my heart. If this is you, why are your efforts not working? And why do you continue to do what you're doing? What do you want? What's at the base of what you're doing? Because here's the point. You and I will never change until we know why we're doing whatever it is we're doing. We will never change until we know what it is in our heart that we're looking to for the rain. Because whatever we're looking to for the rain is why we're doing this troublesome behavior that bothers us and bothers others and that we see the need to change. In other words, if we do not see the bales in our life, this is what we're doing. We got weeds all over our heart and we got weeds all over our life and we're going up and we're ripping out these weeds. But we're ripping them out and leaving the roots in. They just grow up right behind us. And we spend our life doing this. Crap. I was going to cuss, but I'm not going to cuss. And we grab them. And this is what we do the rest of our lives. This is a Christian life. Because we don't know the roots. We never get to the root. We never look at what is the bale in my life. What am I... What am I looking to to send the rain? Change your heart. And some are thinking, well, I don't need to. I don't have any bales in my life. I live for God. If this is you, um, do you know that worry and anxiety, when you worry, that's an emotional signal that you are looking for rain somewhere? you have a bail. Did you know when you are not generous, you're not a generous person, you're not generous with your time, your talent, your money, you're just not filled and overflowing with generosity. Do you know that that is a, a behavioral signal that there's a bail in your heart and in your life? Change your heart. Some of you are thinking, I can do it. I'm so motivated now that you've told me this. All I needed to see is what Elijah is telling me to do, and I will do it. I will change my heart. If this is you, my question to you is, really? 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 How's that working right now? How's that been working for you? Can you really change your heart? And then you say, well, I'm going to do it with God's help. I'll say, okay, great, great. How does that work? Tell me, tell me what God's help looks like. What does his help look like? Does he just, you ask for it and then, oh, Lord, help me. And something happens. Well, then what about, the, what about my dear friend over here, and I have many of them, including myself, that's been asking the Lord to change his life or her life or that area for years, and he hasn't. What do you, how do you, what do we do with that? Change your heart. And some of you are thinking, well, then it, yeah, I knew it all along. God's to blame. God doesn't help me. My life won't change because God doesn't listen. God doesn't hear. God doesn't help. God is to blame. 
I want you to look at verse 1 again. I want you to see that when God stops the rain, what's happening there is he's given a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. The spiritual reality is this, that Baal can't send the rain. He's given a physical reality to symbolize the spiritual reality. The spiritual reality is, is everyone in Israel is looking to a Baal to give what only God can give. But it can't. There's no rain in the Baal. There's no rain in those things. There is none. So the bottom line is this. The reason why we're hurting is not because of God. We're hurting because of the Baals. They don't have the rain. God's not to blame for that. The Baals are to blame for that. Change your heart. And then lastly, you think it's impossible, Jeff. I can't change my heart. I've tried and I can't. And then if I change like just one inch of my heart, I look around and I've got miles and miles of unchange and no change. I can't. I deserve the drought. I deserve no rain. If this is you, you're close. Oh, you're incredibly close. Did you know that there is one man in this passage, one man in all of Israel, one man in the whole wide world that's obeying God? that's not bowing to a bale, that's looking to God to send the rain. Do you see him? And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here, Elijah. Go east. Leave the land, the promised land. Go into the wilderness. Go into the God-forsaken place. Go to the unclean animals of the ravens. He does. And then not only that, did you see how the rain itself hangs on this one man? I mean, look at what he says in verse 1. There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Do you see what's happening? You have Elijah's word, you have God's word, and all of a sudden they started mixing and blending. You don't know which one's which. All of a sudden what Elijah says is all of a sudden what God says. There's such a fusion, there's such a union, there's such a, a mixture that whatever Elijah is saying, God is saying. And then you have, years later, you have this great, the greatest of all prophets, who's the greatest, greater than Elijah. And when he shows up, his words are God's words, because he's God. But unlike Elijah, he never disobeys. He obeys perfectly his whole life. And unlike Elijah, he never bows to Baal. And unlike Elijah, he always, constantly consistently, perfectly, loyally, lovingly looks to God to send the rain. And unlike Elijah, he's not spared in the end. At the end of Elijah's life, he actually gets fed by ravens, and then he gets fed by a widow, and he gets drink at a brook, and water starts showing up magically in a widow's house. And then at the end of his life, he gets this chariot that rolls up and takes him away. Unlike the greatest prophet. 
You know, Jesus is the only prophet to whom God says this. Obey me, and I will send a drought on you. Obey me, and you'll have no rain. Obey me, and I will judge you, and I will curse you, and I will condemn you, and I will tear you to pieces. And Jesus obeyed. Why did he obey? To send you the rain. So you will always have the rain of all your Baal worship taken to the cross and removed from you. By his obedience, he gives this, this record of no Baal worship so you have no Baal worship. You have the reign of a perfect, righteous record that you've never bowed to Baal right now. And not only that, that you are always like a perfect son and a perfect daughter, trusting, resting, relying, looking to God to send the reign, and that record's yours. So change your heart, the text is saying, but it takes the greatest prophet who ever lived to do it. He sends the rain. He sends the rain, so what can happen now? I mean, let's look at our performance. Here's how this works. You start recognizing that, that your performance, you're looking to your performance to send the rain. You've got Jesus sends the rain. You've got to start looking at what you're looking to to send the rain. Let's say it's your performance. So it goes like this. Once you recognize that your performance you're looking to to send the rain, the answer isn't you trying to remove that. The answer isn't trying to pull that thing out of your life. You can't. It took the cross to do it. It took Jesus to do it. So we're not talking about, re, we're not talking about replace. No, we're not. What are we talking about? We're not talking about removal theology. We're talking about replacement theology. Take this performance that you look to to send your reign, and now you replace it with Jesus' performance that does send the reign. Okay? So you take, you're looking at beauty, physical beauty to send the reign. You can't remove that from your life. You, uh, you know why all the hardware, software, whatever it is for folks that struggle with pornography never works. It never works. You should do it, but it never works. You constantly try to rip this thing out. You can't rip it out. You have to replace it. You look at physical beauty to send the rain. You replace it with the beauty of who Jesus is and what he's done. Sends the rain. Change your life. Change your heart. By looking to the one who really sends the rain. 